Would you open your Bibles with me to 2 John? If you've been with us the last month or so, it'll be easy to find because it's right after 1 John. If not, find your way to Revelation and click back a few pages and you'll find 2 John in your Bibles. John writes four letters during his imprisonment on the island of Patmos. Um, in 89 AD, the emperor of Rome was named Domitian. Um, so you had someone like Nero, who was emperor, who attempted to snuff out Christianity in 67 AD, when on the same day he put to death the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter. And you have Years later, decades later, um, another emperor named Domitian, who, like Antiochus Epiphanes, um, considered himself deity. And he demanded that you consider him deity or you would be punished for it. So obviously the apostle John did not consider Domitian deity and that meant that in 89 AD, he would be abducted from his home church where he was a pastor, the church of Ephesus, and he would be taken to the island of Patmos. So in a few years after he was abducted, he would write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and about six years after he was abducted, he would write the book of Revelation. Um, and then in 96 AD, Domitian would die, and Nerva, the next emperor, did not demand to be God, and he also released the Apostle John, and that will come up in the message today. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, as we look at this personal letter um, written to a church where John was pastor of and taken from, and you, you see the, the heart of the Apostle John as he is receiving message about the obedience of the followers in the church that he has been taken from and the encouragement that he's received as a result. Help us to, to note the things that encouraged John so that we could do those same things and encourage you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read the first three verses and we'll begin our way through this letter that John writes. He addresses them as the elder. John was an elder, um, an elder, an overseer, a shepherd. Um, all those terms are the same person. Elder is a Jewish term that goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. So John calls himself the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and in love. So each word seemingly in this address is important. Um, and we will inch our way through it and we will look at some other places in scripture. So first of all, John calls himself the elder. So he's not only an elder, he's the elder from this church. And then he says to the lady, um, referring to 
a church body, which the church in the Bible is called the Bride of Christ. So the Bride of Christ that is locally associated to the Apostle John at this time is the church in Ephesus, a church founded by the Apostle Paul, by Priscilla and Aquila, by um, people like Timothy and people like Silas and people like Luke um, and people like Apollos um, who founded this um, church in this Roman providence of Ephesus. So he calls this church in verse 5, Dear Lady, and I think that that's a representation of not only is this a lady and a church, but it's dear to John's heart. That this is the church that John would have spent the most time in among the churches in the Bible. And John is addressing that here. So if we think of the, the history as we move into this, Jesus Christ dies on the cross in 33 AD and on Paul's First, our second missionary journey, I should say, which was from 51 to 53 AD. At the end of that journey, where he went up into Galatia and he formed those churches which are known in the book of Galatians and he went out through other territories like Cyprus where Barnabas was from and different places and he is, he is winding down and coming up to Troas, down through Greece and Athens, into Corinth, and he is really heading home. And as, as he is heading home, he makes a stop in Ephesus. And he goes into the synagogue, and he doesn't quite receive the same reception he did in Corinth. They want him to stay. They want him to preach more. And Paul says, well, if it is the Lord's will, I'll be back. And about two years later, Paul comes back. In between there, Apollos has been there, who has taught them about John the Baptist, has taught them about repentance, and they've given their life, several of them, to Christ, but they don't know about the Holy Spirit, they don't know about born again, they don't know about regeneration. Paul teaches them that. And as he's teaching them that, a wave starts coming towards him. And he starts then speaking in the Hall of Tyrannus, for example, and people are gathering in large crowds and they're wanting to hear about this God of heaven and earth who died for the sins of mankind and is the savior of the world. And as this grows, what Paul would call in his letter to Timothy, the lion's mouth, meaning the attack of Satan on earth, would zero in on Ephesus. And Ephesus would become this spiritual warfare that was visible. This largest city in Asia Minor, this most prominent port city in the Roman Empire in this territory of the world, this enormous city is turning in waves to Jesus Christ. And Satan is not gonna stand by, so a war breaks out there and a turmoil erupts, and as a result of all of the warfare that is going on, there is hundreds and thousands of people turning to Christ, giving up their worship of idols, giving up their worship of false gods, of pantheism, meaning many gods, and they're following Jesus Christ. 
So by 55 AD, Paul spends 55, 56, and 57 AD, the longest time that he spends in any one church in the Bible, he spends in this city where house churches are popping up all in this city and they are forming a body of believers and they're coming to Christ. So 57 AD, there's a firmly established church which from this point through the rest of scripture is the largest Christian church on earth that we know of. Missionaries are sent from this church. Paul is an elder there. Timothy is an elder there. James is an elder there. John is an elder there. So work is going out much broader from Ephesus than it is from Jerusalem at this time, or even Paul's home church of Antioch. So John becomes involved in Ephesus. He is there, and the church is still experiencing this same warfare and the same vibrancy of Christians who are giving their lives to Christ. So by about 89 AD, Domitian is well aware of what's happening there, and he says, John, you need to acknowledge me as God, and so does everyone in Ephesus. And John says no. So he is put in this Alcatraz of Ephesus. So if you were facing the west um, towards the sea, you would have Ephesus right as a port city, which made it very prominent. And about 40 miles offshore was this tiny island like Alcatraz where they would put prisoners. John is there. He gets a message from Ephesus that there are still faithful people in the church. And he is encouraged. So we read, um, the lady chosen by God, um, we have chosen there in your notes, Matthew twenty-two fourteen. for many are invited, but few are chosen. I pointed out that verse this past week in Matthew, the many who are invited, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life and will not be condemned but few are chosen. So we never choose God. What we do is we respond to God. If we repent, Jesus explains that from there he will choose us and he will never let go of us. He will never let, as Paul would say, heaven or hell or anything else, nothing can snatch us out of his hand once we are his. So many are invited, but few are chosen. Once you are chosen, when are we chosen? God is a God that lives outside of time. He is so much greater than us that that's hard to grasp. It would almost be like your cell phone, which seems to be very smart, saying, well, how did you know to go from here to there? Because the intelligence in you is far exceeding to the cell phone. God lives outside of time as though he can observe time from beginning to end. And Ephesians 1.4 says that you are chosen in him before the creation of the world. He knows who will say to Christ, be my Lord, be my master, be my savior. He knows that before you exist. And he calls us from there. In John 15 and verse 16, he says to his disciples, as they just left the upper room, he says, 
you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So he chose us to do the good works he planned in advance for us to do. He chose us to bear fruit, and he chose us to bear eternal fruit, fruit that will last forever. So John is writing about this as we step into it. Um, we are chosen, dear lady, chosen by God, meaning this church body, chosen as individuals by Jesus Christ and to her children whom I love in the truth. And this is the focus of Second John is the truth, just like we were stepping into in Sunday school. And not only... Not I only, but also all who know the truth. And this is gnosko. So we look at the different Greek words of oida. Um, here's the truth. I recognize what it says. Okay, that's the truth. And then there's gnosko, this intimate um, experiential knowledge of I've stepped into what he told me to step into. I've followed him where he told me to follow him. And I know experientially it's true. So John says that those who I love in the truth, and not I only, but all who know, all who are walking with Christ. We have read verses like 1 John chapter 3, or verse 2, chapter 2 and verse 3. We know we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So John is saying here, not only me, but everyone who obeys Christ rejoices that you are living in the truth that there are children in Ephesus that are living in the truth. Verse 2, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. So we step more and more into this truth, and as we, someone said in Sunday school correctly, truth is a person. So the truth that is in us and will live in us forever is Jesus Christ. So everything that you know to be factually, objectively true came from Christ. So that starts with who he is. He's the word of God. He's the message of God. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Later on it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the logos, the Greek word, the message of God is Jesus. The messenger of the message of God is Jesus. Everything that we know to be true about God comes to us through Jesus. So Paul begins the book of Hebrews by saying, the prophets told us that in years past, but now he's here and God speak to, speaks to us by his son. Everything that is true comes from Jesus Christ. Everything God has to say about heaven, about hell, about you and I, about a relationship with him that he offers through the death of his son, all of that truth which comes from the Father, but it all comes to us by Jesus Christ. Even all objective truth, anything that you could name, the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. That comes from Jesus Christ. Because the light that we have is the light that he gave us. So that everything that is created, everything that is in motion, everything is the law of gravity came from Jesus Christ. 
All of these things make evolution and atheism fall apart. So, so how did the law of gravity become the law of gravity? How did it just happen into that place so that now it always says the exact same thing in every situation? How does the speed of light come to be the speed of light, always remain the speed of light, and never change? It came from the one who said, let there be light. So everything that is true comes through Jesus Christ. And John says here that the truth is in us, and the truth will be in us forever. And he is describing that. In John 1.17, it says there in your notes, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the truths about everything relating to us come from Jesus Christ. Turn back to 1 John, just the letter before, and go to chapter 1. There's a lot of focus on the truth here, and we're looking at things that are true that come to us through Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us, all, or forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So there's multiple truths there. One is that Jesus Christ not only emits light, he is light. So he's the source of all light, but he himself is light. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, there is no darkness at all. If we're walking with Jesus Christ, the darkness of Satan and the demons in this world cannot penetrate. If we claim, no, I, I'm okay, really, Jesus. If I need you, I'll get back to you, but I'm okay. I don't have a problem with sin. I don't need you to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I'm okay. John says, we're liars. And the truth is not in us. So John has just said in 2 John verse 2 that the truth is in us and will be in us forever. And he says in 1 John 1 that if you don't have a problem with sin, then you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. And the light of God is not with you. Look at chapter 2 in John in verses 14 and 15 as we look at truths just from the letter we have just studied. Verse 15 of John, 1 John 2, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So a simple truth. I would like to follow Jesus, but there are things in the world that I want to take with me. Then the love of the Father is not in that person. Verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So another truth. If I do what God calls me to do, I will never die. No human being ever dies, but we are separated from the eternal life of God 
when we don't walk in the will of God. So once a human being is conceived in a mother's womb, it is an eternal being that immediately has a soul, a spirit, a consciousness, a personality that will be forever. But if we follow Christ by choice as we grow up into this life, then, like he promised Martha, even though you die in this world, you'll live with me forever. And that's what John is talking about here. In chapter 3 and verse 18 of 1 John, he says, Dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. So what God calls true, God doesn't talk about when we're reading the truth, the truth, the truth. I mentioned to you that the speed of light is set in place by Jesus Christ. When he says the truth, he's talking about this. He's talking about what he has written down, what we can know about God, what he says about us, and how to follow him. And if we walk in that truth, all that God has to offer are, is ours. And he says here, effectively in this verse, which he says many places in the Gospels, I'm not really all that interested in what you say you're going to do. But here's what I'm interested in, what you do. So he tells a, a parable of two sons. One son, he says, I have this work for you to do. Now go out into the field and do it. And the son says, okay, I'll do it. Son number two, I have this work for you to do. Go out in the field and do it. No, I won't do it. This son lied. And this son decided, okay, I'll do it. And he says to the Pharisee, which one is accepted by the master? The one who does the will of the master. Chapter 4 and verse 6 of 1 John we are from God, meaning the chosen ones he's talking about who decided to follow Christ in 2 John 2. We are from God, and whoever knows, there's that same word as 1 John or 2 John 2, knows, intimately knows, has experienced, whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So the apostles write the letters to the churches, and John is one of them, and John writes five letters. And he says the people that listen to these letters, they realize, first of all, they didn't come from us. They came from him, and we wrote them down. And the people that listen to the letters that we wrote and they follow the instructions that we give, they know him. And the people that don't, don't know him. Back to 2 John as we pick it up in verse 4. Still focusing on the truth. John says... From what he has heard about Ephesus, it has given me great joy to find that some of your children are walking in the truth, just as the Father has commanded us. So there's rejoicing and there's sorrow in that verse. Do you see there's both? 
What's the word that brings sorrow? Some. So this is a church who repented and turned to God in a way that no other place in the Bible does. They bring out $11 million of false worshiping materials and they burn them in the street. Imagine how far away you could have seen the, the, those flames. And now they are a church, it would be almost 40 years later, 35 years later, that some of them are still following Christ. The rejoicing is for them. He's getting a message from Ephesus out to the island of Patmos. John, there are still people here that are just as faithful as when you were here two years ago. They're still following Christ. It's difficult, they're being persecuted, it's hard, but they're still following him and they're still being faithful. So they're still, as verse 4 says, walking in the truth. We mentioned that the truth is a person in your notes there. You see John chapter 18 and verse 37. Dave read this exact verse, the verse preceding it. Pilate says, you're a king and you're from a kingdom. And in this verse, um, he says, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. So this tells us two important things in our witness to the world. What church do you go to? Well, I can tell you that, but that's not as significant as you think it is. What denomination are you? Well, I could tell you that, but it's not as significant as you think it is. What do you believe? I believe that everything that comes out of the mouth of God is true. And whenever that happens, it comes from a person. And I believe that that person not only tells the truth all the time, but in fact is the truth. And his name is Jesus Christ. So he is standing before Pilate, a Roman governor appointed by an emperor who hates Jews. And Pilate says, so you're a king then. And, and if we recap this conversation with Pilate, Pilate says at one point, don't you realize I could put you on a cross? I could set you free. Jesus speaks rarely on trial, and he says to Pilate, you wouldn't even have that power if I didn't give it to you. Here's why I think Pilate's a believer. What do you think would happen to someone who said to a, a Roman official, I'm over you? You know what happened to Pilate? He was terrified. He was scared. You know what the next thing he was that he said to the crowd? I find him innocent. You imagine what one of the soldiers standing next to Jesus when he said that? Wait a minute, Pilate. He just said, he's over you. In fact, he said his kingdom's not even from this world, and all the kings in this world receive their, their power from that kingdom. He's innocent? I have nothing to do with him. He says that six times. So then Jesus says to Pilate, and this is important because this is an answer to a question. Why did Jesus come into the world? John 18, 37. 
to testify to the truth. And everyone who stands with the truth listens to me, Jesus says. See, the world sees religion. The world sees hypocrisy. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but I see your life, but I see what you do. I've heard about your church. I know about the things in this world. There's no hypocrisy in the truth, and the truth is a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he loves us in a, in a level and in a way that we cannot understand. A level that takes him from a throne in the highest place in heaven to a cross and then to hell to pay that debt that I could never pay. And he comes back from that and says, if you're in the truth, listen to me and you will never die. And I think Pilate believed that he was telling the truth. In your notes there, Ephesians 6, 14, we also looked at this in Sunday school. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So in the, in the soldier's armor with the clothing that they wore, the clothing itself was loose clothing they had. They had specially made boots, they had specially made breastplates, and they had shields and they had swords, but what held everything together was this belt. And they buckled it on. And that's the picture, the visual that Jesus gives, is that, that let everything about you be wrapped in truth. If your boss asks you a question, tell the truth. If someone outside asks you a question, tell the truth. If they ask, is there heaven and hell, and how do I know, and who do I follow, tell them the truth. Be a truth bearer, he is saying. And Paul is saying that's how you defeat spiritual warfare, is that truth is a person, truth is what that person says, and ultimately you have to tell everyone this. Everyone answers to him. Not the Father, not the Spirit, not the church, not the government, not the world. Everyone will answer to Jesus Christ. He created the earth. He created me. He gave me free will because he doesn't want me to love him as a robot. In my free will, I do bad things. Things that I can never pay for. And he says, I paid for them all. And if you follow me, you will never die. Do you believe that? He says to Martha. Martha says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we will never die. And Martha was ahead of her time as far as the disciples. In John 16, 13, he is talking about everyone living by the truth and the spirit of truth. John wrote about that in 1 John 4. Let's turn actually to the Gospel of John and look at a few verses. When John followed Jesus when he walked to earth relating to truth. John chapter 4.
In John chapter 4, speaking to the woman at the well, verse 24, We'll read verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And they are the kind of worshipers that God seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit and in the truth. Turn to John chapter 8. This is where some separating has been happening ever since John chapter 5, and it's still happening in John chapter 8. He is speaking to his enemies here, and there are people in the crowd, many of them. Jesus is speaking the word of God. And what happens, according to the Apostle Paul, when you hear the truth? What comes from hearing? Faith. So Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing the message about Christ. So Jesus is preaching the message about Christ all through the Gospel of John, and faith is coming. They're all going to heaven? No. Faith is it's true. Faith is I have a decision to make, and now I have the conduit to make it, and it's called faith. Now it's up to me. Now I understand. He's the truth. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. Do I follow him? So in this crowd where he is being attacked in John chapter 8, there are many who are believing and he is sorting them out by the things he is telling them to do. In John chapter 8 and verse 31, he says, To the Jews who believed in Jesus, in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So John already, we have read, this is how we know him, by obeying his commands. Not only I, John says in 2 John, but also all those who know intimately the truth. Jesus says in John chapter 8, here's how you know the truth. I will give you directives. Do them, and you will know. What happens when I know, Jesus? then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we have in 2024, we have everybody saying, I'm a Christian. Man, I'm sure struggling with this, though, and I'm struggling with that, and I'm unsure about this, and I don't know about that. Jesus says to the Jews who believed in him, if you hold to my teaching, if you do what I say, then you will know the truth, and the chains will come off. You cannot eliminate problems in this world but you can't eliminate stress. You can't el eliminate strongholds. How do we do that, Adrian? By following what he says. We demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. How do you do that? He said it, I do it, I know. Destroyed. Then you can say to this mountain, throw yourself in the sea. Jesus is talking about our strongholds when he says that. So in John chapter 16, then in verse 13, 
on the night he's about to be betrayed. Judas is just left to do that. And he is teaching his disciples these important things. And in verse 13, but when he, this Jesus is talking about going to heaven and the Holy Spirit is the one who will regenerate us, who will live in us, and, and who will be the one who is greater in us than the one who is in the world. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. There's a lot in that verse. When the Spirit comes, he's going to lead you into how much truth? All truth. Where is that from, according to this verse? Only here. How do I know that? Because the next thing he says is, he's not going to speak on his own. He's not going to give you something that's new. He's going to speak what he's already heard. He's going to take this book, he's going to give it to you, you're going to take captive those thoughts, those circumstances, and those challenges, and you're going to demolish those strongholds by the power of the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit's going to see to it. Look at John 17 and verse 17. Now he is on his face before his father in Gethsemane, and he says in verse 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. So again, he makes clear that all truth comes from God, but I'm talking about the word of God. Change them. Make them like me. Transform them is the word that Paul uses, which is the caterpillar to the butterfly. How? Through the word of God. Take this. Use it through them. Change them from I'm not sure, I doubt, I struggle, to victorious. I know. Yes, I see this. Yes, I'm aware of the diagnosis. Yes, I'm aware that I have to find a job. Yes, I'm aware of all these things. But you know what I know? I know who the truth is. And I know that I follow him. And I know that I will be with him forever. And those things are bigger than circumstances. Turn back to 2 John, verse 5. Verse 5, and now, dear lady, this is why this is kind of a, a tell that he's writing specifically to the church that he's pastor of, elder of, Ephesus, and now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. So first in that verse, John is talking about the beginning of the church, and he is talking about just a couple of minutes after Judas leaves Jesus to go receive 30 pieces of silver to turn Christ over to the Jews so that he can be killed. Now he's got 11 men who are going to give their lives for him, who are going to follow him, who are his. And he says, I give you a new command now. We're stepping out of Israel and the Old Testament, and we're stepping into arena where the arena is only people who follow me. 
And the command is love one another. And he says in 2 John now, I'm reminding you. This isn't new. I've already taught it to you in Ephesus. I've already read it, written it to you in 1 John. The command is love one another, verse 6. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. That definition comes up over and over again in the Gospel of John, in 1 John, in 2 John. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Love is obedience, obedience is love, obeying him, loving him, following him is loving one another. Verse 5, turn to Romans chapter 12, as Paul, in all of his letters, describes this love. So John is writing to this church in Ephesus, this dear lady. Paul is writing to Christians in Rome, and he's taking them from their conception just like John is, in Romans chapter 12, in verse 1, we won't do much commentary here, so listen to the building from the gospel that has just been fully and completely defined by Paul in the first 11 chapters. Now he's addressing those who responded. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Who will do that? The Holy Spirit. Jesus told us that in John 16. How will he do it? With the word of God. Jesus told us that in John 17. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Stepping into the church, verse 3. For by the grace he has given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And he's talking about the body of believers in Rome, just like John is in Ephesus. Verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, which includes teaching the word of God, sharing the word of God, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, and serving is in every list in the Bible, in the New Testament. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That's like a dictionary for love one another. Whatever God has endowed you with, your talents, your treasures, your time, your spiritual gifts, your abilities to do, do them for others. And honor them in a way that puts them above you. 
then you will, 1 John, 2 John, you will know what love one another is, you will know what it is to be God's, and the truth will set you free. And in this world, you will walk, regardless of circumstances, in freedom, in power, in joy, and in peace. He promises to do that for us. He tells us in verse 2 there to test him and see if he will do that. Back to 2 John, verse 7. This is what Paul promised would happen to Ephesus four decades earlier. It's already happening in Ephesus, and that's why he uses the word some in verse 4. So verse 7, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. The emergent church, the new age church, the things that are swallowing up the Bible-believing church today, Jesus is important, Jesus is good, Jesus tells the truth, Jesus didn't necessarily walk the earth, didn't necessarily raise from the dead. Um, this book that we read is my response and man's response to God and not God's word to me. All of those things are throughout the church today. And they were entering the church in John's day people that do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that Almighty God was in the manger, not a baby that came into being. Almighty God came from his throne, decided to be a baby, to walk the life that, that I walk, to stay sinless for my sake, to die on the cross for my sins, to return back to his glory, to offer me eternal life, the world doesn't believe that today. We'll take the baby in the manger. We don't want a king. We don't want a master. We don't want a lord. And John says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the antichrist. Verse 8. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you, have, that you may be rewarded fully. Sounds just like his letter to Ephesus in Revelation. Verse 9, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Listen to the instructions here to see how important this is to God. Whoever continues in the, t in, in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Inside the church, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. We believe this is true, we both believe it's true. Guess what else is true? Guess what else is good? I'll share it with you. Can I come over for supper? What would John say? No way. You can come over for supper. We'll go into this book. You make your case there. We'll study this together. And when you say this and this, we part ways. 
because that church will be gutted if it becomes Jesus and. So Paul says in your notes there in Colossians 2.8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. That is way more prevalent in the church today than you realize. It is, first of all, possible because we know the Bible less than any age that has ever been. So a lot of things, things like the chosen, there will be some things in there that aren't in this book. Partly because there are Christians and Muslims, or not Muslims, Mormons, putting it together. So Adrian and I talked about this yesterday. It's, it's valuable to see. It's important to see because so many people are watching it. But it's also, like Dave said, bring your scrutiny to it. If God didn't say it, Romans 3 says, let God be true and every man be a liar. But what if Wayne has something that we all agree is good? And we're pretty sure God would think it's good too. As soon as you open that crack, Pandora's box is open. Then you can have people believing, if we just baptize you, you'll go to heaven. If you just receive communion, you'll go to heaven. If you just do this, you'll go to heaven. Because those are good things too. And John says, as soon as someone runs ahead of the teaching of the word of God, don't fellowship with them. Because you know what happens? This is a sad reality. When a person who follows God and a person who follows multiple things comes together, they both do. That's why the church is in the condition today that it is in. In your notes, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 through 15, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. In, is, it is not surprising then that his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Paul says, Satan is out. He isn't at the seance. He isn't at the, the witchcraft class. He's standing right here. And he's pretending to be a preacher of righteousness. And he's pretending to say that, yes, this is true. And guess what else is true? And Paul says, why wouldn't they do that? Why wouldn't it be preachers who have robes and pulpits and platforms to preach from? Because that's what Satan does himself. Paul says Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So we read in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 6, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, there is no darkness at all. Satan says, I'm the light. Do you know that there is no verse in the Bible that says people see light when they're dying? That is light from an angel that follows God? So if they actually did see light, what is it? It's the, is probably the masquerader of light, which is Satan. 
Verse 12, John says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you soon, hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. So John is saying, this is a brief letter. I want you to know I'm encouraged. For every one of you that is walking in Christ, I want you to know from your elder, I have joy. And that joy is being sent from Ephesus to this island. And no matter what is happening here, that some of you are walking in the truth, I have joy. I am uplifted. And I have so much more to say to you, but I'm asking God, if it be his will, that he release me so I can come and see you. Um, Turn to... Revelation chapter 2. So in the progression of time, he's writing that about 91 A.D. And he is writing the book of Revelation, which is John's primary responsibility, arguably, on the island of Patmos. We know God's future plan. We know everything that he's going to do from the rapture on um, in large part because John was held captive at Patmos. And he's writing this in Domitian's last year of life. So just think about this in God's timing. John is abducted from Ephesus. He's put here, he writes, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He closes 2nd John. Um, There's a lot more that I want to say, but I want to say it to you in person. I want to see your eyes. I want to hug you, shake your hand, find out who's walking with the Lord, but I want to do it in person. John doesn't know probably in that moment he's going to write Revelation. An angel comes down to him and he writes the book of Revelation and he concludes it. Domitian dies, John is freed, and he goes to Ephesus. And this is what Christ speaks to Ephesus. Verse 1 of chapter 2 in Revelation, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, And the angel is the messenger, so this is almost like John writing to John. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. One of the things they excelled at partly because of Paul and Timothy and James and John, was when someone brought something besides the Bible, they expelled them and have found them false. Verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the, the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is the promise that we read about in 2 John. To the one who is victorious... I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So in this letter in 95 AD, which is 
five decades after this church was formed. Um, by the time John is writing four years earlier, some of you are still faithful. By the time Jesus speaks to them in 95 AD, you're still doing church, but you're not doing it for the same reason. You're not doing it for the one who holds the lampstand in your church. So he explains in the last verse of Revelation 1 that the stars are the messengers, the angels. Angel means messenger, the one who brings the message, and that he holds them in his hand if they're telling the truth. And he walks among the seven lampstands, and Adrian and I talked about this yesterday. A church is a church in God's eyes when Christ puts a lampstand metaphorically down and says, he is the head of the body, the church, and in everything so that he may have the supremacy. In that house, lampstand. He says to Ephesus, you're right closer to the edge than you realize. You're still doing church. You're still doing Christian ease. But you're not doing it for me anymore. And if you don't repent, I will take my lampstand back. But the strongest thing they have going for them is that they hate the Nicolaitans. What's a Nicolaitan? A Nicolaitan who brings their ideas into church and puts them both on the shelf. God's word, what I think is good. And John tells us in 2 John, you better deal with that person. Because it won't be long if you don't before ideas are equal to God. So John is about to deliver Revelation and these letters to his home church, and he is anticipating the joy of now when he gets back, he has to find those who are still faithful um, because it is not the church quite that he left. Heavenly Father, help us to take the simple directives from today that if we follow him, it's not complicated. I don't have to be a theologian. I don't have to have great understanding. But I have to look to the truth himself for my answers. And I have to accept that what he says is the only thing that he accepts as truth. Help me help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.